It is easy to hide behind culture and say it's not spiritual. It's cultural. The Christians in the West do it with holidays like Halloween. Christians from Eastern cultures mix spiritual wedding rituals and spiritual dances in Christian ceremonies and cover it up under culture. But each spiritual step away from God under the guise of culture is a step away from truth. Pretty soon, church becomes a cultural event. We go, we sing, we feel spiritually warm and cozy, and then we do our own thing because our generation knows so much more than anybody before us, right? We think we're above scripture sometimes. How different are we today than God's people at the time of Jeremiah? Offering information for your mind. Enabling transformation for your heart. A weekly dialogue exploring God's word and its application for today's world. Sabbath School U. Hello, I'm Michael Martell, and I'm here with you with Sabbath School University. Today we're gonna to be talking about symbolic acts. But before we get into it, I'd like to welcome our panel today, and I'd like for you each to introduce yourself and share with us the most exciting thing you've done this year. Okay, my name is Kayla, and probably the most exciting thing I've done this year is get a job and move on to that next level of adulthood. Wonderful. <laughs> uh, hi, I'm Eric Sloan, and I think the, the most exciting thing I've done this year is also get a job. You know, like a, a real job where I use actual skills to do things. Wonderful. These are great guys. <laughs> I'm Vanessa. Um, the most exciting thing I did this year was uh, the Color Run. is a 5K, but it's not for serious runners. It's just for people who want to have fun with colored powder being thrown on them as yeah. they go through the course. And that sounds exciting. <laughs> and as I mentioned, I'm Michael Martell. And the most exciting thing I did this year so far is I, I dragged my family along with me on a two-month work trip stint that I thought perhaps would be too much. I have two little ones, but they enjoyed it. We had a good time. Wow. Yeah, so, uh, Eric, I'd like to ask you to read our memory text and give us our opening prayer. I'll be reading from Romans 9.21. Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? Let's bow our heads. Dear Father in heaven, thank you so much for this day, Lord. Thank you for bringing the four of us together to learn more about your word. And uh, please preside over this conversation. Help us to, to find the, the truth, find what you want us to see uh, in the message. In your name we pray, amen. 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 Okay, symbols. Mm -hmm. As we're talking about symbols, we're gonna start kind of opening up the topic and seeing how symbols kind of manifest themselves through the lesson and what we know they represent today in society, all right? So um, in the context of the lesson, we're talking about Jeremiah here and uh, the symbolism that is present in and throughout his story. And um, I think the first thing we should do is probably uh, identify what symbols we find in the study of Jeremiah and why is it important thousands of years later. So what symbols do you find in the study and why is it important now? I mean, do you mean the whole book of Jeremiah? Because there's well, well, so Well, primarily in, in the lesson that we study. Okay. Um, well, you have the snake. So they're in the, they're in the desert the people of Israel, they start to grumble and complain against God and, Mo and against Moses. 
and God sends venomous snakes, and a lot of them die, and some of them are bitten, and they don't die. Um, and he says, look, make a bronze snake, which I don't know how, much, how long would it have taken to even make that. Um, and if you look at it, you will live, right? So the symbolism there, of course, Jesus being lifted up on the cross, the, the key active catalyst, for lack of a better word, being faith, being this is what God said, and I will do what he said because I believe what he said is, will happen is true. And all throughout the scripture, we're finding symbols like this. And mm -hmm. it's, it's quite interesting that symbolism is used in that way, kind of just to help us connect uh, to the message that's being shared. And, and then later in Jeremiah, we're seeing the symbol of the potter mm -hmm. and clay. Tell us a little bit about what, what you connected with in those sim uh, symbolic representations. Well, uh, you know, the potter and the clay, if you've ever watched a potter making a pot or a vase or whatever, you, a lot of times he's not happy with the product and he just smashes it back down and starts over, all over again, mm -hmm. which is a lot like what God does with us when he allows uh, certain occurrences to happen in our lives. It, it brings us back down to nothing and helps us to, to grow back up again in the way that he, want, that he sees in his mind that we should be. So that's, that's kind of how I see the potter. And I like that. And I also, you know, I've seen some reference to pottery and, and potters and clay. And, you know, while that, that clay is still uh, pliable, if halfway in it's not working or something changes, they can recreate, reshape. But then the question is, once the product is finished and it's not necessarily what the purpose of it was to fulfill, or if it breaks, mm. how is it restored? Is there is there an opportunity for a potter to go back and say, hey, can we add clay to this? Can we remold right. this? Can we reshape this? Can it be fixed? I, you know, you can't you can't just take it anywhere to fix it. Mm -hmm. Well, I I took ceramics for an entire semester while I was doing my bachelor's, and I learned a lot okay. about about that, like the analogy was always with me as a child, I had a book actually, a Christian book about the story. But when you have a lump of clay, it's heavy. You have to make sure it's wet enough. You have to throw it on the wheel in a certain way. And even just throwing it on the wheel, it has to be centered as the wheel turns, like the balance and the centering and all of that. And, and then I, I would literally have to lean my whole body over and put all my, the, the um, strength of my entire body into molding it at mm -hmm. those at those stages. Wow. And then if I did that properly, then it would take the shape that I wanted it to take. Mm -hmm. um, so for us as human beings, I think the struggle we have is that we have no say. Mm -hmm. a cl a clay does not have a mouth. Mm -hmm. And so if I decided this is going to be a vase this tall and this wide, but then halfway through the process something happened, the plan changes. It's still my plan as the potter. And, and I don't think we're at the point yet where you can say, uh, I would like a mold of a dinosaur, mm -hmm. and as I work it, it will just become a dinosaur because that's what I bought. No, right. you have to know how to mold it into that shape. So right. I think that's another analogy that we can pull from, from the symbol of pottery and clay, that the work that is being put into it. Right. There, there is an investment Yes. into creating yes. this in this And I product. feel like we, we don't understand how much effort God mm -hmm. goes to mm -hmm. on our behalf. Right. We're busy being upset that we have no say in, mm -hmm. in what piece of pottery we turned out to be. Not recognizing what our purpose is supposed to be. Right. You know, right. clay is nothing in and of itself. Right. 
Essential clay is purpose. only something in the hands exactly. of the potter. Mm -hmm. Okay. You, you mentioned uh, you know, when the pottery breaks, how do we fix it? And it brought me back to some motivational Facebook posts I saw where it was talking about these uh, Chinese vases, I think it was Chinese, yeah. uh, where right. they were broken and they put them back and they, instead of just putting regular clay in the cracks or uh, like cement, they put gold. Hmm. They, uh, they melted down gold and they molded the gold into the cracks. So you end up with something that was beautiful. way more beautiful than it was before it was accidentally broken. Mm -hmm. Wow. And I feel like God can do that at any point, you know, if we're, we have uh, in some sort of symbolic way been fired and broken. stuck to this one shape and then we get broken again. He can, he can even take that and put it back up even more amazing than we were before. And isn't that the kind of vessel you want to be? Right. You don't want to be the same vessel you were before you broke. Mm -hmm. To be a new vessel and have more value and more worth, that, that's an amazing thing we can pull from that, that piece of symbolism. What, um, what other sorts of symbols are we finding in the study of Jeremiah? So the potter and the clay, what else did we see? We saw um, the example of the, the, the wine sack, mm. okay? Yeah. Uh, we saw the example of the linen, the linen belt. Mm -hmm. These are all symbolic symbols that, that Christ is using uh, with Jeremiah to help him show the relevance of what's about to occur to the people of Judah, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How does that speak to you? I think the interesting part of each one of those examples is that they were common items. They were things that they saw in their everyday. It wasn't you know, an example from a far off land or an example of something only the elite used. Mm -hmm. Like they knew what a linen belt was, they knew what a wine sack was, they knew what pottery was because they they worked with it, mm -hmm. so it was very tangible and it was something they could ima they could imagine. Um, it, it was very relevant, and that's that's the point of symbolism. But that's that shows how well God used it working with Jeremiah. I think it's it's interesting as well how these symbols kind of transcend culture and mm -hmm. time a bit because maybe maybe not with the linen cloth and a wine sack, but again, going back to the potter and the clay, like all, like I'm pretty sure all cultures at some point at least have worked with clay, have worked with pottery. And I mean, even in today's, you know, modern society, you took a pottery class. Mm -hmm. The pottery is still around today and God, you know, he knew that it would be that way. So he gave us a symbol that would be able to be used forever. For time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the message that he was wanting to share through that symbol is just as relevant as it was back then. So we have a symbol that's just as relevant and we have the message that's just as relevant. Because we, uh, however thousands of many years later, there's God and there's humans. There's some things that just don't, don't expire. <laughs> when, um, if, you, if you can find Jeremiah 18 verses, and, and read verses one through 10, Sure. Jeremiah 18, verses 1 through 10. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter? 
says the Lord. Look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. When we think about what that's telling us, you kind of almost get an image in your head, right? The clay, you know, speaking to the potter and saying, make me this way, shape me that way. That doesn't happen. Mm -mm. And we talked about this, mm -hmm. you know, the effort that is being put into creating this, this, this piece, this, this vessel. And, you know, I think what, what Jesus is trying to say, say here is that we can't confuse the role of the clay and the potter. Mm -hmm. We at some point we've gotten it twisted. Mm -hmm. We've gotten it uh, turned upside down or seeing it backwards. Mm -hmm. You can't tell the creator how to create the creation. Right. The creation can't tell the creator how to create itself. Because so, he says there, as if they don't already know. Right. He says, as, just as the clay is in the potter's hand, so you are in my hand. Like he's having to inform them, you're right. in my hand. Right. Like, that's just how it is. This is the relationship right. of us. Right. Right. This is and, the dynamic. And what, what, the part that I think can sometimes be a pressing issue for individuals when we use the analogy or the symbolism of potter and clay is, well, do I, do I even have a choice? Mm -hmm. Do I get to make my decisions if you get to mold me? Mm -hmm. But I think that's a question you ask when you don't know your relationship 100% mm -hmm. to what your purpose is in life. And if you're thinking your purpose in life is to somehow fulfill something of or within yeah. yourself, yeah. then that's going to come with a different set of consequences. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But if we're understanding greatness to be our destiny when we are aligned with what Christ has in store for us, yeah. then we are willingly giving ourselves over right. to who and what he'd like us to be. And so we can't, we can't miss that point. And, and sometimes I think we find ourselves in that rut. What do you do when you find yourself in that rut? How do you get yourself out of it? Or how do you start to bring yourself to terms with the fact that you have a potter. Well, you know, I always remember from the very beginning, God gave us a choice. He gave Adam and Eve a choice. He said, you can eat from the tree of life and you'll live forever, or you can eat of the tree of knowledge, of the knowledge of good and evil, and you will die no, because you know evil. So, so from the very beginning, God gave everybody the choice. Do you want to follow me or not? He is a loving God, and, and in that way, he lets us choose not to accept him. But he won't mold someone. He won't do that to, like, break them down and put them back up if they do not want to. Mm -hmm. and he will, he's not the kind of God that's going to turn you into a, a God-fearing robot mm -hmm. that will do whatever he wants you to do. Like, he wants us to make the decision. And once we've made the decision, he'll go and he'll start working on us. And that's, that gives me like solace in that point. Mm. Like whenever I'm going through something that, you know, if, if my relationship with God wasn't in a good place or if I was like really trying to reject what God was telling me, that he wouldn't, he wouldn't be trying to mold me. Right. So that, that's kind of where my mind goes during those times. I, I've learned to submit just out of, out of age and experience, mm -hmm. out of every time that I didn't submit and where that got me. Right. Um, and to, to, I have had to learn the discipline of trusting God more than I trust myself. Because if I'm making, if I'm choosing what kind of, uh, what kind of vase I'm gonna turn out to be to, 
to keep with the symbolism, then that is, I'm trusting myself more than God. Mm-hmm. And I've having choosing to have a relationship with him and study his word and pray and be involved in my local church, that relationship, the context of that helps me to, to know this is, is awful right now, but it's part of the process of me becoming what God wants me to be, which is the best possible thing I could be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our next question is, how did the culture influence God's people? And how does this concern us today? So we, we talked about God using a relevant symbol in their culture, which was, you know, pottery and the linen belt and the, the wine sack. Um, how did the culture influence God's people? You know, in previous lessons, we've talked about um, there being a need to return back to the law, to review the law, to f- recalibrate, to, um, to uh, revive um, and restore the status that, that they should have had. However, the moment that leader is taken out of the picture, they kind of fall back. What was causing that uh, digression to occur. I think it had something to do with the culture. Right. And so, so this is asking, how did the culture influence God's people? Well, it wasn't just their <laughs> culture. It was the culture surrounding them. Okay. They were very susceptible to the outside forces and, and wanting to fit in, wanting to seem more like the, the nations n- near them that mm-hmm. maybe they thought had, I don't know, a better status of living or a better they liked their camels better, something like that, where they found, they found something that was more desirable in their eyes right. than what they currently had. And, and also, I think um, living a Christian lifestyle, you don't always identify success the way others identify success, because we're called to be selfless. We're not here to fulfill our own purpose and desire. So what we find success to be may not look like what others are calling success. And so if you're not in tune with what the, the journey of success takes in a Christian relationship, you may be looking to, you know, fulfill that desire and you're looking around to see how others are doing it. And culture can have an influence that way. Yeah, I think we underestimate the power of human nature and I think that we imitate each other way more than we realize. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I used to live in South Korea and there they bow to each other as a greeting. I started doing that. I'm American. I, I ended up doing it so much that I had to consciously stop doing it when I came home to the United States. Mm-hmm. And so that I would never bow to anyone. If I had never lived in Korea, I would, I would never have become something that I started to do, mm-hmm. right? right? So I think that it's easy to read their deterioration and feel like it was, um, like it was something that just happened, mm-hmm. where I think it's just literally day after day, year after year, saturation of the culture, erosion of their identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and once, once you assimilate so, so much, like sometimes I'll be walking around Seoul and feel like I was in New York because mm-hmm. I just got so used to it. Mm-hmm. So it's like almost they, they at one point, um, you get to the point where you forget that you're in Egypt mm-hmm. and that you don't mm-hmm. realize, you can't distinguish Egypt from Israel or... Korea from America in right. your head. So I think that's that's how the culture influenced and that's that should concern us as well because right. we our cultures are diametrically like opposed. Right. The Christian mindset and the worldly mindset, the worldly culture and the Christian culture, the kingdom culture. Absolutely. Yes. 
I, I see this uh, in the way that they worshipped as well. Okay. Uh, you know, they were always falling back to Baal, to idols, and especially Baal. And Baal uh, is a word that means Lord in the earlier Hebrew tongue. So, in essence, a whole, my guess and a lot of scholars believe that they thought that they were still worshiping the same God mm. by worshiping Baal, who's hmm. Lord. We call the Lord. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, fundamentally, the worship of Baal was evil. It was purely evil. You would mm. sacrifice your children, uh, you know, commit terrible sexual acts to each other, you know, all sorts of disgusting things. But since they were so into that culture, they were so immersed in that, they started, the, the lines started to blur right. between their Lord and our Lord. There is a, there's a loaded term that we can, we can use to identify this, which is synchronism. And, we, you know, that's basically the, the concept of taking a, a pagan ritual and moving it into a religious ritual once you started to shift from one belief system into the other. And so you start to mesh these two beliefs together, not realizing that you've brought in a pagan belief system into your religious belief system. And that happens to a lot of us today, especially in this society, as we become more integrated and and more global and connected, and connected yeah. we start to we start to learn new faiths we start to learn new cultures and that mm -hmm. sometimes has an influence on what we do individually and so the question is why is this important in the christian church today do, can we identify some things that may have pagan roots i'm sure any religious structure could mm -hmm. at some point but I think, there are, I think there are even smaller representations of how that happens in the church today. Anything come to mind? I think the whole uh, modern view <laughs> of uh, follow your heart mm -hmm. is a big one okay. going around our church today. The, the yeah, idea good. that like, what my heart says is right is right, and what your heart says is right, even though our hearts may say two different things. And that is a very non-Christian uh, belief system that mm -hmm. has been slowly seeping into not just our our faith as Seventh-day Adventists, but all the, the other Christian denominations as well. And the follow your heart theme ties into God knows my heart. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we can do something we know isn't correct, but because we did it with the right mindset, we kind of think we're still okay because God knows what I meant. And while none of us can judge one another, you're absolutely correct. God does know your heart, mm -hmm. but I think you still are responsible for being aware of what it is that you allow to influence your beliefs and, mm -hmm. and your, your daily um, uh, habitual you know, decisions. And so I think when we, when we talk about how um, culture influences the Christian church today, we have to start paying attention to some symbols that we see. Well, for me, I... I feel that technology mm -hmm. strengthened, like we were a consumer in society back in the 40s and 50s, but technology and the internet and social media has made marketing and branding stronger than ever before. You know, we, we have these statistics of how many images we see per day today in 2015 versus what we were exposed to back in the 50s. And so a good marketing strategy, a good, a strong brand 
tells you what to think. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then so brands are trying to associate themselves with, uh, with qualities of life. So for example, when you, when you see the Coke uh, campaigns, Coca-Cola, it's happiness. Mm-hmm. Coca-Cola equals happiness. And so it's so, a symbol for happiness. Right. And yeah. so, so the culture of our consumeristic society and our materialistic society influences even us in the church because, yes, we go to church and, yes, we read the Bible, but we're human beings. We choose where we're going to buy, where we shop for clothes. Mm-hmm. We choose what we're going to eat. We choose, and all of it is just tr- pulling us in one direction or another. And, so, and, the, and the, the point of the company is to sell you something, not to help you morally. So it's kind of, we have to be careful um, what we assimilate into our lives, the ideas behind a lot of what's, what's promoted in our culture are, are morally wrong. And I want to ask, as, we, as, we're, as we're bringing this towards a close, um, is it possible that we come to a point in our relationship with God that things cannot be fixed anymore. And the reason I ask that is because when we're, we're talking about the symbolism of the, of the potter and the clay, and we talked about, you know, once it's broken, can it be mended again? And you gave a wonderful uh, analogy of, of, of being fixed with. Yeah. Can it be fixed again? And so if it can be fixed again, is it possible that we come to a point in our relationship with God that things can't be fixed anymore? Well, we go back to the Bible. Uh, the only thing that we can do that cannot be forgiven is rejecting the Holy Spirit, which is essentially you just not asking for forgiveness. Mm-hmm. So that, that, I think, is the only point at which God cannot fix you again, is if you've decided, like, God, you, no. No, you can't fix me anymore. Right. So it's not and in your relationship. It's choosing to end the relationship. Right. So exactly. then when we look at this, the, the, the story then presented in, in Jeremiah, where he goes and he smashes the, the clay pot. Mm-hmm. And it shows that, you know, I will destroy, this is the result mm-hmm. of rejection continuously. Mm-hmm. Generation after generation, rejection after rejection. I, the potter, will now take you the creation of the clay. And it's smashed, and that is a symbol. Is that what we're seeing here? Did, th- did this nation get to the point of no return no. No. There was a remnant. There was a remnant. Right. Yes. And so, and the remnant, it's up to the remaining part, again, to choose God or not. Right. Um, and so he did say simultaneously, I will destroy you and you will not be completely destroyed. Right. So. The reason why I like that is because it shows that there is a result to our, there is a consequence to our actions. Right. But God isn't 100% uh, ready to throw you away. Maybe you won't see the result. But if he's made a decision for his chosen people, he will see it through. Guys, thank you so much for for joining us with with this lesson. If you would like to contact us, please visit our website at www.sabbathschoolu.org. That's www.sabbathschool.org. Remember, the goal of Bible study is information and transformation. It's for the head and for the heart. For Sabbath School U, I'm Mike Martell.